We are going to continue uh, diving into God's Word uh, right now. So if you have a, um, a copy of God's Word, if you just want to turn to uh, Exodus 16, Exodus 16. We're kind of continuing just kind of a two-part series, uh, how to receive criticism for the glory of God. Uh, so we're going to be in Exodus and really kind of looking a little bit at, at Moses' life and how Moses uh, received criticism. We'll do a mini-review. Uh, and then we'll, we'll dive, dive in. So Exodus chapter uh, 16, beginning in verse 2. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, What that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when he sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread in heaven for, for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, I pray that tonight, Lord, as we think about this idea of criticism uh, that we all face in this life, God, I pray that you would just encourage us uh, to receive it well, uh, to receive criticism for the glory of God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, well, as we said last week, this, this idea of criticism, we can't escape. So whatever you do in your life, you're going to be criticized, right? Whether it's going to be in your, in your home, uh, by your children or by your spouse, uh, whether it's going to be in, your, in a position of, of leadership in the church or at your jobs. We cannot escape criticism. And today what I'm going to try to do is I'm going kind to of, kind, of, kind of branch and, and look at criticism in two lights, really three. We're going to talk about what is good criticism, what is ungodly criticism, and how do we handle that. And then lastly, how do we give criticism? How do we give criticism? So just a quick review from last week. Just a few points. Number one, we, we always want to view criticism in view of the cross. As Christians, we always want to view criticism in view of the cross. What the cross says is that you are a sinner. The cross says that we are all sinners deserving of condemnation. And God, in his grace, sent Christ to take that condemnation for us on the cross. So the, the cross says two things. The cross says that we are sinners far more than we realize. That we have evil in our hearts that we can't even fathom. We are worse than we think we are. That's what the cross says. But it also says is that you are far more loved than you'd ever dare dream. 
Because God sent His Son to die for your sin. Literally to become your sin. So we think about criticism. When someone criticizes you, they're probably right. Maybe not fully, maybe not completely, but when someone says something to you that's harsh, our first response should not be, that can't be true. The first response is, it could be a lot worse. Because if we really realize, if someone saw what we actually thought in our head and in our heart, we would probably deserve that criticism. Okay? So that's what, what the first thing that we have to do is we have to understand that what the cross does, the cross frees us from trying to defend ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. All we have to do is agree with God. God says that you're a sinner. We say, yes. This is exactly what we were talking about this morning. When God asked Jacob's name, tell me, what is your name? He said, Jacob, deceiver, cheat. He confessed it. And what did God do? Because of that confession of sin, he says, your name is no longer Jacob, now it's Israel. He gives you a new name. That's what God does. He gives us a new name. So although that we are sinners, we're also loved. No one can condemn us except for God. Hear me. No one can condemn you except for God. And you know what God has already done through Christ? Justified you. God looks at you and sees the righteous robes of his son. Washed in his blood. So when God looks at you and when he looks at me, he sees a forgiven, blameless saint. Because we are united with Christ. So the first thing, any criticism that we receive, we have to view it in light of the cross. That should frame everything that we do uh, in life. Not just how we receive criticism, but how we work and how we, how we have relationships. Number one, view it and view the cross. Number two, we looked at last week, criticism is good. <laughs> yes, criticism is Good. Now, we, no one likes to receive criticism. Right? I don't like to receive criticism. We don't like it. It's not a fun experience. But we know that it is for our good. We looked at all those Proverbs last week. What we see in the Proverbs is that when, we, when, when the righteous, godly men and women hear criticism, they become more and more like Jesus. We can't become like Christ, which is the goal of our lives, unless we heed criticism. We know that great verse, Romans 8.28, that God works all things for, those, for the good of those who loved him and called according to his purpose. Sometimes God wants you to become more like him, so he comes through the words of friends and critiques you, gives you instructive words. Sometimes words that are hard, hard to hear, but are true. Some of the hardest words I've ever, some of the most difficult things I've ever received in my life have been criticism by my close friends. Sometimes my wife, sometimes my pastor, uh, sometimes my, my, my really close friends who know me well. And when they give you a word of criticism, it's not always pleasant, is it? But I tell you, at the same time, every single one of those rebukes have made me a better man, have made me become more and more like Jesus. Because what they did is they exposed my sin and allowed me to deal with it in light of the cross of the gospel. So criticism is good. Let me just give you, give you um, seven principles I found uh, from a pastor in Virginia named Garrett Kell. He lays out seven principles on how to receive uh, godly criticism. Uh, some I've already mentioned, but this is just time to review. Number one, be hungry to grow. The reason why we can receive God, godly criticism is because we want to grow. 
So we, we, we want to invite that in our life because we want to become like Christ. Number two, assume you need to be corrected. You know, I think that the, the opposite is assumption in our lives is that we assume that we don't need to be corrected. I remember early on in my marriage, I would ask my wife, I was taught during premarital counseling, that you, need to, you should always ask your wife, is there areas in my life that I should grow in? Is there things that I should be doing that should cause me to grow? And I would ask my wife, sweetie, is there anything that I could be doing as a husband that can be better serving you, that I could be growing in? The problem is, is that what I expected by hearing, by asking that question is, no, darling, you are amazing. <laughs> you are the greatest husband ever. Uh, the problem was she actually told me what was wrong with my life. And it took me a while to, to, a while to deal with that because I was assuming that I did not need to be corrected. And I think we need to make the opposite assumption, assume that we need to be corrected. There are times when I, I've asked the deacons, I've asked uh, individuals in this church, what can I do to become a better pastor? What are, what are some faults that you see in my ministry that I could be growing in? And I want them to give me those feedbacks. One of the first questions that I ask the 60s club when we gather on, on Tuesdays, every time, how are we doing? What do you see both good and bad in the life of the church? Give me your critique, because we want to grow. Uh, we want our, our church to, to be corrected. Two, don't be easily offended. Three, don't, I mean, three, don't be easily offended. Uh, Spurgeon once said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. Let me read that again. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him. For you are worse than he thinks you to be. If people really knew us, if they really, really knew us, the critiques may be even worse. Number four, ask clarifying questions. When someone gives you a critique, it's okay to ask clarifying questions. Humbly, what do you think about this? Or are you sure, how, is this what you mean? To make sure that you can really understand what that person is, is saying. Five, assume there is at least some truth in what others say to you. Assume there is at least some truth to what others say to you. Number six, which I think is an important one, keep the church in view. So we live as a body. So the body of Park Baptist Church, we have hands and we have feet. And we're all called to, to work together as one. So if I go to Adam, for example, and Adam is, and I'm trying to give Adam critique, okay? And I give Adam critique and Adam receives it in a godly way. Guess what? Adam grows and therefore what happens? The entire congregation is now blessed in that growth. So when we, when we receive criticism and we deny it, dismiss it, don't want to hear it, what we end up doing is we don't grow and the rest of the church is now affected. Because you are not caring enough about them to want to grow and affect them. We are all one body. So how we handle our own individual lives will affect each other. Now, one of the lies that I think has happened in, in the American church is that we... What's most important is what I do in my own personal life, right? Not in the life of the body. Listen, how you grow individually will affect everybody else. So the fact that, that Max Phillips is still serving the Lord at, at 93, almost 94, just blessed the socks off our congregation, right? And encouraged our hearts. Now, what happens if, if Max, being, being 93, stopped coming to church? And he barely can hear me right now. Okay. <laughs> the other day, the other day, Max goes, 
Pastor, I, I, I love you. You're, you're a great preacher. I can't understand a word you're saying, but you're a great pastor. Um, but he just got here again, so I think he can hear now. But you, you, see the, you see the principle here is because Max didn't go up, we all are blessed. Because our college students, our, our, our young people, are choosing to come back on a Sunday night, invest in the relationship with the church, the whole church is being blessed. We have to look at how we receive criticism in light of the body. So if someone in our church comes and gives me constructive feedback and I dismiss it, what I'm doing is I'm hurting the congregation. Right? So we have to view how we receive things in light of the whole body. Well, let me just make a couple general points about ungodly criticism. Because there's some things that I'll look at here in a second about how we give constructive feedback. Right? How do we give positive criticism? But there's some criticism that is ungodly. Okay? So what, I'm, what I hope happens here during these two talks is, one, you see criticism as good, and two, some of you learn not to give the criticism that you are giving. Because some of the criticism that is being, being given within our congregation is not always helpful. And I think that it's actually hurting our church and it's hurting each individual, individual's lives. So the second big point, or the third big point, is ungodly criticism, grumbling, is ultimately against God. Ungodly criticism, classified as grumbling, complaining in the scriptures, is ultimately against God. So look at with me in, in Exodus 16, the verse of scripture that I read. So we just, we've been seeing all these miracles just happened. Israel was just freed from Egypt. They had this great song of praise. Um, and then what they see is they're hungry. The people of hungry. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but it, you have those moments when you're hangry, right? You're hungry, angry, right? You're just angry because you, you haven't got enough food to eat. Well, that's what's happening here in Israel. They are, they are hangry, right? They are angry that they don't have food. And what they say is, in verse 3 of chapter 16, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. So he's basically, he's questioning, they're, they're questioning the Lord for what the Lord has, has done for them. And he says, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now remember, who's he speaking to here? The people of Israel are not speaking to God in prayer, but they're speaking to, to Moses and Aaron. They're speaking to the leaders and saying, we should have died there. Why did you bring us here? Why are you leading us this way? This is the, that what Moses and Aaron are, are receiving. Uh, and then God says, don't worry about them. I'm going to feed them. You don't worry about it. So we, we look at verse 6. Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Which is crazy because all throughout each plague, every plague happened, and God said, I'm doing this plague so that you may know that I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Everything in the book of Exodus is how God is the Lord, the sovereign creator king of the universe. Back to verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, and that you're grumbling against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So, there is some grumbling that is directed at us as leaders whether the leader's in your home, the leader in your job, the leader in the church. And that grumbling ultimately is not against you, 
but it's against God. So when people are, are malicious in their complaining and in their grumbling, here's how we should respond as godly people in Christ. We should pray for them. And we should pity them. Because they are grumbling against God. And then one day they're going to have to answer to God for that grumbling and complaining. We need to be like the Lord Jesus. We need to intercede for them on on their behalf and ask God in His grace to allow them to repent of their grumbling critical spirits. If you read through the, 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 the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, and every time you see grumbling and complaining, what you see is disaster for those people. Now, I'm not saying this just because I'm a pastor and sometimes that comes my way. I'm saying this because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says when you grumble, not with the right spirit, you're ultimately grumbling against the Lord. And the Lord will hold you accountable. So if you're a leader, and all, all of you here, some of you are going to be leaders in the church, some of you are leaders in the church, leaders in your home, when, when you hear that grumbling and that murmuring, when you understand that it is not from a, a good place, well, we, we hear it, but then we pray for those who are against us. We don't lash out, but we pray for them. Because ultimately, grumbling is against God. And that Moses says, what are we that you grumble against us? Now, I find that helpful in my own spirit. Right? When, I, when I feel that I'm being, when there's grumbling that I'm hearing, uh, complaining, uh, because something's not going someone's way, the first thing that I'm trying to do in my own heart is to pray for people is to pray that God would be gracious and kind to them. That's what Moses does all, all, all throughout the Scriptures. That's what Moses is going before God and saying, please help them from this spirit. Sometimes when God wants to come out in his wrath and take them down, they need intercessors. The second thing uh, about this idea of uncritical spirits is that it should be shared. Criticism should be shared. Uh, turn over to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. Look at Moses how we handle this again. So look what happens when the people complain in Numbers 11. And the people complained in hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them, consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Same thing. The people complained, and the complaints aren't ultimately against Moses and Aaron, but who's it against? Against God, and God's anger is kindled. Do you you see how strong the language is here? When you are grumbling and complaining, God's anger is kindled. Verse 2, Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So they're crying out at Moses, blaming Moses for what's happening. And what does Moses do? He goes to God in prayer, and God answers his prayer for the, for the, for the good of the people. Look at how it goes on. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And this is probably not the, the strong among the Israelites, but the rabble, those who were, who were living not according to God's law, they had a strong craving. Think of this idea of craving, appetites. Just think back when we studied recently, we were thinking of Isaac's appetites, Esau's appetites, uh, Eve's appetites. Right? This, this idea of appetite and craving is all over the scriptures. A good verse in the New Testament is Philippians 3.20. 
where it says that there are some who are enemies of Christ. Their God is their bellies. Their, their God is their cravings, their, their lust, their appetites. Second half of verse 4. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. And now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So they're free from the Egyptians. They're in the, the presence of God. And all they can think about is the cravings of their appetite of once they once had. This is one of the things I see among Christians that, that, I, that really just, just causes me concern. Recently, I even heard it among a pastor here in town. Is that when they talk about their past life, when they live their past life away from Christ, they talk about it in a way that makes it sound really good. Let me tell you about the time when. Why would you glory in that? That's what's happening here in Egypt. They're in slavery, they're in bondage, and they're saying, oh man, wouldn't it be great to be back in Egypt? That food was so good, I could smell the cucumbers and, and taste the meat. That, that, that's the picture I get a lot of times when people talk about their past sin. I'll never forget, I was 18 years old, and I was on, on a mountainside in British Columbia, Canada. And my guy was named Mark, and Mark was giving his testimony. And, and Mark uh, was a young believer, probably 22. I was, you know, 20, 18 at the time. And the way he talked about his sin of his past made me want to go there. Think about it. He's giving his testimony, trying to tell me to follow Jesus. And the way he speaks about his sin with joy and a smile doesn't make me want to pursue the Lord. At 18, it makes me crave after his sin. The cravings you see here. And that's despicable, y'all. We don't want to rejoice in our past sin. So when you hear people sharing stories of when they walked in the ways of the world, make sure a smile is not on their face or yours. Because if you're laughing along with them, what's happening in your heart is you're drawing it to it. Verse 7. Now, manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedlam. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills and beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. So now Moses is the leader here, and he has to deal with all this. Now God is there, and God is present, and God's anger is hot among these people. And Moses is standing between God and the people. He's like the mediator, almost what Jesus Christ is doing now, where God's anger and wrath is boiled against the people of God, and, and Jesus stands interceding forever on our behalf, their mind. They're mine. I've been, they've been purchased with the blood of Christ. This is what Moses is doing. He's standing between God and the people, and the load is getting heavy. The load is getting heavy. Look what Moses responded. And if you're one who's prone to um, be sullen, grumbling, complaining, look at what that grumbling and complaining does, not only to God, but to God's leaders. Verse 10. Verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have you not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, 
that they should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. That's Moses. That's the leader of God's people saying, God, will you just take me out? I can't handle it anymore. Man, do you realize why so many pastors, and sometimes pastors lead churches because they're not good pastors. And they don't have a strong intestinal fortitude. They don't have a strong backbone. And instead of dealing with hard things, they bolt. Because it's always easier on the other side. Sometimes, I'm not saying in churches all across America, pastors leave because the people really mistreat them. And eventually, a pastor says, I can't deal with it anymore. I'm gone. Right? That's where Moses is at right now. Moses is at the point, I'm, I need to be gone. And then what does God say in verse 16? Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. This is what I mean. If you are struggling with criticism and the grumbling of people in your life, share that load. No individual can handle that burden. This is why God, in his, in his sovereign wisdom, sent leadership structures to be plural. Plural elders, plural deacons. It's interesting, even the word here, talking about the Spirit of God being placed on, on these men, it's almost the picture of a deacon. In the New Testament, the, the New Testament picture of a deacon is a, is a man full of the Spirit. The Spirit falls upon them to share the, the burden and the load of the church. Because here's the reality. Some criticism is like the wind. Some criticism, the Bible says, is like wind. Job says this in 6.26. Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind. You, you ever been in a bad place? And that bad place causes you to say things that you don't really mean, that you're going to regret later? Sometimes people criticize us because they're wounded. They're hurting, and they don't know how to deal with it, so they lash out with their words against us. Sometimes that happens. Well, if we have friends that we can talk with, who know us well, who can share that, they can help us discern that. Uh, Proverbs 11, uh, 14 says, In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So when we're dealing with all this stuff, we have to discern, is this good criticism or is this bad criticism? Is this godly or is this, is this grumbling? Well, when we have friends in our life who to share that load with us, they can help us see, is it good, is it bad? Um, it helps to, to have the emotional stability, to have the face of a few people who love you and who are, are, are not unduly critical in your life. Well, we're, we're almost out of time. But let me just kind of give you a brief uh, five things that can help us give godly criticism. How do we give godly criticism? Um, 
First, number one, say it directly and not indirectly. When you give criticism, say it directly and not indirectly. I appreciate people who give me criticism face-to-face. Tell me exactly what they're thinking. I may not always like it, but, man, I appreciate it. You know why? Because there's sometimes there's that indirect comment that you're just trying to figure out, what do they really mean? <laughs> what, what did that statement really mean when they kind of set it around passive, aggressively, around the, the bend to try to get me to understand something? Do you want to be in a kind of relationship where you have to guess what someone is saying rather than, what do they really mean? Just be in a, If you're going to give a criticism, do it directly to someone's face. Okay? Just be direct, not indirect. Number two, give it seriously and not humorously. These are taken from uh, a pastor up in D.C., Mark Dever. Give it seriously and not humorously. I think that if you're going to give criticism and you think it needs to be said, don't make light of it. Because if, it, if it's meant for their good to, to become, have them become more and more like Christ, when you say it humorously, you really don't give it the weight it needs to. And here's what happens. Sometimes when you say things kind of in, in a joking manner, well, the reason I think that why we do that is because we're afraid of people. We're just afraid. If I say it in a joke and someone's offended, what can you do? Oh, man, I was just kidding. I didn't mean it. I was, I was, I was just kidding. It, it protects us and it hurts them. We kind of say it usually in, in a crowd of people Right? And we kind of expose it, which, which is the, the, the next one. Um, if it's important, we want to treat criticism as it's important, not casual. If you think criticism is that important to share, then we need to think about, is it important to share? Right? Because every time you give criticism, you're going to hurt someone's emotional bank. Right? This is what Moses was saying. I, only, I can't take any more. Right? You know if you have good relations with people... There's times in your life that you speak things that, you know, I'm, I'm married, so there's times that I, I share things with my wife that I need to bring up. There's times I'm like, it's, it's not a good time. <laughs> we'll leave that be, right? Maybe I need to pour in and serve her more often before I bring that up. Well, I think sometimes we, we have to do that. But we have to look at it as it's, it's really important to bring it up, not to do so casually. We, want to don't, we don't want to use a, a other person's emotional energy by criticizing them in a matter that's not really significant. Four, do it privately and not publicly. Privately and not publicly. Um, it's always best when you have a criticism to give to do so to an individual face-to-face. Because the second one, the last one, is that we want critic- give to criticism for the person's good and to bless them, not because of our frustration. Typically, when we give criticism, it's because we're frustrated or we're angry, and we want them to know it. Okay? That's when we give it. But if we think about, okay, I'm going to do it privately. I'm not going to do it publicly. I'm not going to do it to expose them. But I'm doing it for their good because I love them, and I want them to grow. And if we all want to grow, and and they, they want us to grow, and they've demonstrated a pattern in their life to say encouraging things to make us grow, well, that person has the right to speak into me harshly. There's people in this room who have given me so much positive encouragement that if they came to me with, with, a, with a criticism, I would, be, I would be salivating to listen because I know they love me. I know they care about me. And because they, they want my good, I'm willing to listen. But if the person is always taking shots 
passively, aggressively going around and, and kind of trying to, trying to knock at me. When they come with me to criticism, this is what I want to do. I'm good. I've, got, I've had enough, right? So if you want people to listen to your critiques, encourage them. Build relationships. Love them and seek their good. And, and if you do that, what you'll see happen is that you'll see almost a less of a need to, to bring up the criticism because people will come to you and ask you those things. They'll give you an opportunity uh, to do so. So I, I think this is one of those things where uh, how we handle criticism, it, it kind of where the rubber meets the road with our walk with the Lord Jesus. If you say that you love Jesus Christ, that he is your Lord and your Master, when, when criticism comes your way, it's kind of like, we'll see. We'll see if you really believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior when, when, when you're getting criticized. How do you handle that? How do you wrestle with that? We can't escape it. But we should realize it's good because of the cross, right? The cross says we don't have to defend ourselves, that when people give us criticism, it's for our good that we can grow in Christ. So if we as a congregation make a vow to say, listen, let us grow in our ability to receive criticism. Let us grow in our ability to give criticism. Do you think our congregation would be a different place? I think our congregation does this in many ways already. We just want to continue to do that more and more for the glory of God. And when we do that, we will become more and more like Jesus. And when we become more and more like Jesus, we reflect to the, to the lost and dying world the beauty and the power of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you um, want us to receive and give godly criticism. I thank you, Lord, in your kindness for all the criticism you've given me in my life. I thank you for all the, the, the godly criticism you've given the, those who are here tonight. I pray, God, that you would grow our church to give and receive criticism in a way that would honor you, that we would do so for the glory and the fame of your great name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.